An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. And when I felt that I was exhausted, I pushed him. Uh, It came to me suddenly I needed to give up the struggle for the weapon and that I needed to become the weapon. Welcome back, everybody, you beautiful, beautiful, beautiful souls. Good evening, everyone. It's your favorite afternoon delight or morning delight. I'm not sure when or where you listen to us, but let us know. Whenever you're getting it in, we appreciate you. (laughs) I for an Night Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, with my host over here with the most, Matt. Sup, y'all. He's eating a really gigantic, delicious-looking muffin. Is it chocolate chip or is it blueberry? Blueberry. All the best. So, we're back. We wanted to do this episode, especially with this climate that we're currently in, the Women's March taking place, what, yesterday? Yesterday it was. Yesterday, all around the world, we think it's incredible that women everywhere are standing up, our voices are being heard. We have allies like Matt here ready to stand up and fight with us. It's it's amazing. It really is, and it's something that should have happened years and years and years ago, but it's you can't say, but if... We're here now. Time's up, motherfuckers. Time is up. We need to change the conversation. We need to change the way we have the conversation. But a good start is having conversation in general. So we want to celebrate all of you badass women out there standing up, fighting. More women don't stop. We're stubborn, baby, and we're not backing down. At least Tauruses are, and that's what I am. We appreciate all the women warriors that were out there marching yesterday, though. We love you guys. And also, I want to echo what one of my personal heroes, Viola Davis, said about all the women that are still in silence, that have not spoken up or feel that they cannot speak up. We are with you. We love you. If you ever want to speak to someone, you can speak to us. Absolutely. 110%. And we're with you, and your voices are being heard. You know, that's what we're here for. We're here to give you your voice, make you be heard. We're absolutely fine with that, too. And we speak for you. We love you, and we're here for you. Amen. We'll stand up for you. And speak out for you. You know, we speak for all of you. All of the women stand together. And it's it's honestly beautiful to watch. It's such an incredible movement. Um, you know, I, I don't even want to call it a movement. I just want to call it... This is the change. way the this world is, is going to be. This is it. This is the light, This is the way life is going to be now. Yep, this is it. Women anybody that's, any, that's ever exposed or made anybody feel lesser or abused... Or anything along those lines. If you've ever put a woman down or ever felt like you're for some reason empowered. Yeah. But it's it's it truly is amazing. And it's one of those things where it's changing the conversation. Because I do think there's a lot of things out there where men honestly don't realize what they're saying or doing is inappropriate, unwarranted, disrespectful. Because it's part of the culture. And once we change that culture, which is what we're doing now with the Women's March, with the Me Too movement... With Time's Up, this is what we're doing. We're changing the conversation and making men and women everywhere stand up and say, hey, or not even stand up, take a take a step back and look at their own their own relationships, their own interactions and say, hey, like maybe maybe this wasn't appropriate. And that's so important as well. Time is, Time up. is up. So we want to kick out this episode with a badass motherfucker. This is truly the most badass, like one of the most badass cases. We're yeah. going to cover a few badass cases. This is one of them. This is a this is a woman warrior we want to shout out here. And that's and that's the most important thing in the world right now is calling out the women warriors of the world. And yep. this is 110% one of them. Susan Kuhnhausen, shout out. Shout out to you. So let's kick this off. So right now we are going to read a 911 call. I couldn't find the actual call anywhere. I might dig a little deeper and see if I can find it. But in the meantime, I'm the, I'm going to be the 911 dispatcher and Matt is going to read the call that the 911 dispatcher received. And this is little snippets of it. Like I said, couldn't find the whole thing on audio at all. We could only find it um, transcribed. So take it away. We'll do the best we can. We have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in the bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. Can you put her on the phone? She's bleeding. Does she need an ambulance? No, she's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He may be dead. What did she use on him? She strangled him? What else did she do? She put a chokehold on him? I've got help on the way. Stay on the line. 
Okay, she has a hammer here. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Just leave it there. She hit him in the head several times. There's a hammer he had with him. She struck him, and she strangled him, and she thinks he's dead. Was he by himself? Did he have anybody with him? No. She expressed a concern it may have been her ex-partner who sent the person. Have there been problems with her ex-husband or her ex-partner? She did talk to Mike, her ex-partner, and asked him to house sit for the cats, and he said he couldn't do it. He was on his way to the beach. He left her a note. He knows the alarm. Okay, that's good information to pass to the officers. End scene. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that was the actual <laughs> that was that was the actual footage of the. Did you see how passionate it was? That was insane. I did my best monotone voice uh, because we love and respect all nine one one dispatchers. They're able to keep it calm, collected, and get the job done. I don't know how they do it. Absolutely, the most strong individuals because they hear nightmares every single day. They hear nightmares and. Uh, have to work through those and so keep I don't know how in the world they keep their emotion out of it but they do so kudos to all you 911 dispatchers out there Seriously. I hope I did you a solid yeah that job that job is not what I would sign up for openly but we See, love I you kinda would, like, I would hate it but I would love it like it would probably traumatize me and I'd be done after a day but you know me I like I like this shit so mm-hmm. well I don't I don't like it but like I'm interested it's an interest whatever okay so a little bit of background here we're gonna throw at you so Susan Kuhansen, uh had not witnessed a lot of happy marriages growing up. So her parents did get divorced. Her dad was an Air Force cook, and her mom was a homemaker, and they separated when she was in second grade. Now, her life was noticeably chaotic from her childhood because she was constantly shuffling, shuffling between cities, homes, and her parents' houses because of the divorce. Now, Susan was quoted saying, My parents loved me, but they couldn't teach me how to have a successful marriage any more than they could teach me how to fly. So that, that's kind of a foreshadow of, you know, her, her relationship here with her ex-husband, Mike. Susan became a licensed practitioner nurse and then a registered nurse. Now, in the early 80s, she did move to Oregon. And in 1988, a friend and Susan's mother paid for a personal ad for Susan in the Willamette... Willamette? Willamette. Willamette Week. So they thought, hey, she's lonely, she's working hard, maybe she wants, you know, a partner to spruce things up a bit, they thought it would be funny to put an ad for her in the paper. Would you be pissed if someone did that to you, Matt? Or would you think it was, like, awesome or funny? Uh, I'd be sort of pissed. <laughs> I'd be like, yo, you really think I can't, you know, <laughs> come on, man. I think Susan was in on this one. I think she was ready for it, but I did think it was uh, a gesture out of love and humor. You know, it was always noted that Susan has and had the best sense of humor. The ad, <laughs> the ad stated... Someone different was the title. Yeah, gotta love that. Thank you for that yes. ringing endorsement. Yes. <laughs> so it said SWF, so single white female, 33, overweight but not over life, seeks SM, so single male, who wants more out of a relationship than just slender. Amen, sister. Active healthcare professional, enjoys exploring NW. What's NW? Is that a place? That's not an abbreviation somewhere. Enjoys exploring... The Northwest? Whatever. Enjoys in exploring NW, interested in conversation, good times with someone who is intelligent, thoughtful, and full of humor. Must be emotionally, physically mature. If you're seeking a bright, funny lady, adventurous enough to advertise, then please reply. So soon after that ad went live in the paper... Susan started receiving waves of responses. She got feedback. People liked her charm, liked her wit, and liked her honesty. You know, not many people are like, I'm a curvy lady looking for love. And she just, boom, right out there was like, fuck it, let's go. Oh, yeah, girl. Yeah. So one of the ad's responses that stood out to her most came from Mike Kuhausen, a Portland native. Okay, that was Portland. A Portland native who was adopted as a newborn in 1948 by a couple in their 30s. Which is kind of like me, except I wasn't adopted in 1948, but the couple was in their 30s. My mom and dad were in their 30s when they adopted me. Right on. Yeah. So Mike sent her a message saying, Matt, take away your dramatic reenactment. Hi, different. My name is Mike. I'm a 39-year-old DWM. I don't know what the D stands for. Divorced white male, I guess. Is that what it is? Down white male. What's her, what was hers? Single white. Yeah, maybe you're right. Divorced, maybe. I don't know. Go on. Dumbass, I don't know. 
Dumb white male. Dumb white male. Dallas. Um, Down white male. I don't know. If you know what D uh, W M stands for, shout out. We so think well, it's divorced. Yeah, that best, makes sense. Best guess. Single, so yeah. Go ahead. I enjoy most things in nature, from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. Now, Susan did recall the first day she spoke to Mike by telephone. She knows the exact date. It was January 30th, 1988. Now, this was back before cell phones. So you could imagine her talking on her cord phone, you know, maybe in the kitchen. One of those wires that, as a kid, I loved to untangle and retangle and wrap around my fingers. I have that at my office now. It Do fucking you? sucks, though. I don't like it. <laughs> I have a headset. Little did she know, the phone call that began with her making little smiley faces in her planner would end over a decade later with one dead and another in jail. Isn't that sad, like, looking back on crimes when you, like, it's so happy and bubbly and then all of a sudden you, like, flash forward to, like, how horrible it is? You know what's something weird that I do? Side note that has to do with this. I don't know if anybody else does this, and if you do, please tell me because I feel like I'm psychotic. And by psychotic, I mean I just feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit. What I'll do is if I'm having a really good day, I'll, <laughs> this is so fucked up, I'll think of what like the news title would say if I was in a horrible situation. So like it started out with her taking her dog on a luxurious hike through the mountains and then it ended with her body being found in a trunk. Like always in my head, like shit like that goes through. Do you ever do that or is it just me? Oh yeah. Like definitely. plan out like news headlines kind of uh, what it would say it had something terrible happen to you. I've come up with some clever ones. I should have written down in case some things ever happen. Oh gosh. But no, I think it well mine are always situational. Like if I'm out with my dog, it was like, oh, you know, Lisa was walking her dog, the day started normal, and then all of a sudden, you know, blah 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 happened. Anyways, side note. Susan and Mike spoke on the phone many times before actually meeting. Over a hundred hours of time they logged between the two of them on the phone. So that was an estimate. Now, Susan does fondly remember those conversations. She said he had a nice voice, and she was impressed and wanted to talk about the deeper things. He seemed like someone she could confide in. She really liked this guy. It was like a puppy love, you know, your new relationships. Mike told Susan how he saw combat in Vietnam, but she says now she doesn't believe that. And military records list him as a switchboard operator, so... He made calls. He definitely was full of some deception, which she didn't know until after the fact, which is sad, you know? Lying to someone is horrible because it really does do a number to you. What can you trust? What can you believe? Clearly this ended not so good for somebody. The basis of this relationship was built on several lies. Yeah, and it's sad because, like, how was she to know that? Their first date was in February 1988, and she said it went as well as it could have. She thought it was a wonderful time. They had a great first date. They loved interacting with each other. You know, they built up so much conversation over the phone that it, you know, it felt like they were already hanging out every day. And meanwhile, it was the first time they ever met. They met at Crystal Springs Garden next to Reed College where they fed ducks and Mike tossed unsalted peanuts to squirrels. Within that year, they'd be driving to Reno to get married. Mike liked to play slots and Susan figured there was no bigger gamble in life than marriage. So it seemed that she was, you know, getting up there in age and just wanted to settle down. Admittedly, they probably moved a little too fast. Admittedly, like they were said, probably drinking. Yeah, true. Well, and like she said, she didn't have the best roadmap, you know, as far as people to look up to for that kind PG of PG rated parental guidance. Yeah, so they did get married quite fast. I mean, I think it's a little ridiculous when people get married so fast, but hey, everyone floats a different way. Real Now, their dreamer relationship that she was in would soon fizzle out after they said I do, which kind of seems like it happens in a lot of marriages, to be honest. It, it seems like there's that honeymoon phase that everyone talks about, and then, as we all know, Matt, it kind of dies down to real responsibilities. If you have kids, the kids' issues, you know, debating just things. You know, living with someone is so different. You, you wind up having compromise. no money. Yeah. And it's just a lot. And so Susan did state that it wasn't very long after they got married that there was no more hiking and no more going out. Now, that is a surefire sign that something is not right. You know, a marriage shouldn't make things worse. It's, you know, technically supposed to make things better. Obviously, it's going to make things harder, but that doesn't mean worse. 
So she noticed that Mike's attitude started to change. They weren't going out anymore. She wasn't really, they weren't connecting. They weren't having fun. Within a few years of the wedding, Mike got a new job as a janitorial supervisor for Oregon Entertainment, the parent company of Fantasy Adult Video. Wow. Yeah. So he went from a switchboard operator in the military to working at a janitorial, as a janitorial supervisor. At a porn store. At a, at a porn store. Now, he started slowly revealing to Susan, in his early years, he had never really been happy. That's a shame. His life philosophy, as she stated, was life is a shit sandwich and every day you take another bite until you die. <laughs> wow. Honestly, though. I'm seeing how much. Yeah, I can kind of see, though, where that mindset comes from. I mean, if you're... Down on your luck, things aren't going well. Life is kind of a shit sandwich, and you just take a bite until you die. So hey. many people get into routines that are literally, you're like a robot. You go work at a, a nine-to-five job, make dinner, come home, go to sleep, wake up, repeat, wake up, repeat, wake up, repeat, wake up, repeat. Maybe have a weekend, maybe have a vacation once a year. Wake up, repeat, wake up, repeat. I can see a shit sandwich starting to brew. They're starting to build up, stack that shit up. Yep, well, here's what I'll say to you. Don't drink. Don't do drugs to get away from that. Start throwing some ketchup on your shit sandwich. Work out. Do something physical. Hike. Yeah. Fish. Be active. Travel. Do something creative. Yeah. Write. Paint. Draw. Read something. You know, change up There's the game. There's ways to add flowers to your shit sandwich is what matters. There are right. total ways to get or out of the shit sandwich. Or you can get a side sandwich. of, like, good french fries, right? I love good french fries, Lisa. Who doesn't? The couple never had any children, and Susan was okay with that. She she didn't have it in her cards to be a mom, and that's absolutely okay. I don't know why people think that women have to be mothers. I get why some people get frustrated with that if they are having ch- like trouble bearing children, but it's not for everyone. And as we see in a lot of these cases, it's absolutely not for everyone. And what happens when we force people or let people have kids who are not ready is shit storms, even bigger shit sandwiches, shit fucking shit uh, salad bars, all full of shit, just shit, shit, shit everywhere is what happens when you're not ready to have kids and you have kids anyways. So Susan made that decision and she was okay with it. Mike was known to chain smoke while guzzling Diet Cokes, which was ironic because he was constantly hounding Susan about her plans when she went out and her weight and her spending. And she, he always complained about minor purchases. Like I said, this is kind of tall tale signs of control. He wasn't letting her go out. He was constantly hounding her. I mean, I understand marriage is a compromise. Marriage does have to do with money and, and making joint decisions. However, when someone's taking that control away from you, that's, that's a surefire way that something's not going right. So yeah. they had been married unhappily for 17 years. And she endured mental and emotional abuse by her husband, like we talked about, Matt. These little things are mental, emotional abuse, and it starts little. It starts with, you know, not going on hikes. It starts eliminating things from the schedule. Then it starts nitpicking about spending. Then it starts making comments about weight and being rude. And, and a, you know, it's just little things. And that's the hardest thing. And when we talked about it before with um, Centoya Brown's case, if you haven't listened to it, Go back a few and listen to it's episode 11, uh, episode 10. 10. It's episode 10. But it's one of those things, like, a lot of people don't realize that they're in abusive situations. Right. Until it's until too late. It. Yeah. Until it's too late. And, and when you're in it, it's so difficult to get out. And we definitely have a lot of resources in our show notes if you do have anyone you know or you yourself are in a relationship that is abusive. Mentally, physically, emotionally, it's all abuse and it's all the same. Yes. So. There are outlets. Yeah. So 17 years into that marriage, Susan realized, fuck this, I had enough. I'm done with his shit. I've, do- I've dealt with this for too long. He's not changing. It's just getting worse. So, like I said, she's a badass. She was just like, you know what? I've had it. I'm done with this. It was once a happy little situation. For 17 years, I've been unhappy. I'm not putting myself through that anymore. She, she realized that through a lot of indiscretions, but she would say when she'd kiss him, he'd burp, and she cared about him, but she didn't want to live with him anymore. She wanted to be happy again. She wanted to find her own inner peace, her own happiness, which is, again, super, super big, bold move for a woman. Yeah, we respect uh, anybody that can accept. Yeah, that can... It's, it's the hardest thing in the world. 
And in September 2005, she kicked him out of the house completely, and he moved into his father's home. But Susan did make one little mistake, which I don't want to blame her at all, but this, this would obviously come down hard. She didn't change the locks on the door or the alarm code, which was 1210, which was their anniversary. So, yes. what happened, Matt? So, on the evening of September 6th, 2006, 51-year-old emergency room nurse ended her shift at Providence Portland Medical Center on Northeast Gleason Street and headed to Perfect Look Hair Salon on East Burnside Street. While she was there, she picked up O Magazine and read a poem that would prove to foreshadow the nightmare that she would come to face merely a few hours later. It read, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear. This is so, like, ugh. A little chilling, honestly. Yeah. So one hour later, West rested and relaxed, well rested and relaxed. She drove her blue one-story, she drove to her one, blue one-story Cape Cod with a gray picket fence in Montevia neighborhood of southeast Portland. In the mudroom at the back of her house, Susan found a note by the microwave from her husband of almost 18 years saying, Sue, haven't been sleeping, had to get away, went to the beach. Kind of odd that she finds that in her house. Yeah, especially when he's not living there. Right. So she unlocked the door to the kitchen and then heard the beeping of her security alarm. And as she disarmed it, she walked through the house to the front door and then went back outside. It was clear and warm at 6.37 p.m. that day. So, mind you, this is taking place during daylight hours. Yeah, this was, yeah, still just after she got home from work. She was in no rush and flipped through her mail in her front yard, just walking about. And usually every morning before work, Susan would open her curtains to let the light of day come in through the windows. And when she walked into her room, she immediately was confused at how dark it seemed. It's kind of like the creepy calling with the Mansons. Like, you know something's off, but you're, like, not 100% sure if it's, like, something you might have moved not thinking of it. Right. You know, and that's so fucking creepy. Yeah. Because, like, she walked into her room knowing... I know I drew those open because I do it every morning and they're closed. My room is pitch black and it's never pitch black because I keep that open because I love that light. Could you imagine? Can you imagine if you walked in here right now and these were drawn and you know you didn't do it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it would just be like... <laughs> you grab a samurai sword and chop someone's head. I would grab my samurai sword, yeah. But that's, I just to me, I don't know why, but the littlest things are creepy, especially because it's foreshadowing horrible things, but... Well, he wanted nobody to be able to see in her windows, obviously. And she didn't want her to see him. Of course. Because he was waiting in her bedroom right. behind the door. So, not more than a moment later after she realized that she had not closed the curtain, she was attacked from behind by a man who was hiding behind the door. And at five foot nine. The 59-year-old stranger was 190 pounds, and he was wearing Dockers, blue striped shirt, and a tan baseball hat pulled down low over his eyes to hide his face. He had a ponytail that was tucked into his cap. He was wearing rubber gloves on his hands. It's just so bizarre. Can you imagine, like, looking like a fucking duck? Like, why are you wearing... Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, why he was wearing them. Yeah. Like, no, no Bright-ass yellow gloves. Yeah, wore, wear those instead of just, like, some latex gloves. Or <laughs> like, black gloves, you know, like, normal, like, yeah. OJ gloves. OJ, some type of gloves, yeah. <laughs> no, this dude got some under-the-sink type of rubber gloves. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm gonna go plumbing kind of gloves. Yeah. Uh, and he was carrying a black hammer. The human body is conditioned <laughs> yeah. to have an, a, a one or two way type of reaction when you are attacked, fight or flight. And it's this is instinctual. Instinct. It is. Nobody knows how that. And animals have this too. Everything has a fight or flight part of their brain where where they either obviously fight or flight. Exactly. So that firm was or that term was actually first coined by Walter Bradford Cannon, an American physiologist professor and chairman of the Department of Physiology of Harvard Medical School. It is also called hyperarousal or the acute stress response, the fight or flight response, and it's a physiological reaction that occurs in a response to a perceived harmful event, attack, or a threat to survival. His theory stated that animals react to threats with a general discharge of the sympathetic nervous system, 
preparing the animal for fighting or fleeing. So they will decide in that moment when they are attacked or presented with danger what they will do. Yeah, and obviously animal meaning like mammals and animals. Anything, including us. Yes. More specifically, the adrenal medulla produces a hormonal cascade that results in the secretion of catecholamines. There you go. Especially norepinephrine and epinephrine. Yeah, norepinephrine and epinephrine are both interesting. I've never heard of those, but Mm -hmm. right on. It's interesting to note, actually, that there are physiological changes when fight or flight is activated in order to give the body increased strength or speed in the fighting situation. This is like when you hear of like mothers lifting cars to save their kids or like, you know, exhibiting strength that they wouldn't otherwise have. It's all because of the fight or flight response in your body. Right. So some of those actually include, I mean, you can noticeably in, increase blood flow to the muscles activated by diverting blood flow from other parts of the body, increase blood pressure, heart rate, blood sugars, and fats in order to supply the body with extra energy. Blood clotting function of the body speeds up in order to prevent excessive blood loss in the event of an injury sustained during the response. And increase muscle tension in order to provide the body with extra speed and strength. So it's almost like your body actually physically conditions you to be prepared for a fight. And even if you were to be injured in the fight, it prepares you for that. Which, I mean, obviously, it like obviously that happens, but it makes you wonder like how... I mean, I guess it's your two people. Because I was going to say, like, how are people ever overpowered if people turn into the Hulk when, you know... Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but if everyone's fight-or-flight response is kicking in, you know, it's curious to see that these aren't all, like, MMA fights playing out. You know what I mean? Isn't that weird? It is. But I guess it is, like, if you and I were to fight right now, you're bigger and stronger than I am. So, like... I wouldn't try to fight you, Lisa. (laughs) But, like... I don't think it would matter too much if my fight or flight, you know, response. If I'm trying to wrestle Hulk Hogan, you know, it doesn't really matter if my fight is in because he's a huge person altogether. You know what I mean? I do. Well, like Matt was saying, we have that fight or flight response. Now, while most people would assume, if you're thinking about it, if you found a stranger in your house, you either fight them or flee. I would probably try to flee first because I'm a pipsqueak. Especially if the stranger in a room has a hammer in his hands. Susan's fight-or-flight mode was enacted fight one. So this is why Susan gets the badass award of the year. Like we said, she's an emergency room nurse for nearly 30 years, and she had disarmed injured men, helped crack open people's chests to perform heart massages, administered IVs in patients thrashing around for drug withdrawal. And she and other nurses at the Providence-trained regularly in self-defense, which I didn't know that, but I think that is something that nurses do go through because they do deal with patients that are on drugs, patients that have abnormal, you know, strength, patients who are bigger and stronger than them regardless. I think that's a great thing to go through. So I think it's amazing. I think every person should go, well, yeah, especially women, but every person should go through a self-defense course just to know how to adequately get away, adequately defend yourself, because I don't fucking know how, honestly. So, when the male originally came at her, Susan crowded him, knowing that swings of his weapon would have less force if she stayed close, which is a good thing to know. If someone's, you know, trying to hit you with something, they have more force if they can, you know, wheel back and hit you. If they're right up next to you, you can't, it's hard to hit someone when they're touching you. You know what I mean? So, like, it's like if someone's giving you a hug, it's harder to punch them really hard, like, hard than if you were to swing back and punch from a little bit more of a distance. Especially when you're swinging a hammer, because that's just an awkward movement in general. Can you imagine swinging a hammer with someone that's, like, right up against your body? You'd have to position your arm and just, like, almost hit yourself. That's true. Isn't that, like, it's... I've never thought about that, but that's what she did. She crowded him. She knew if she could get as close as possible to him as she could, he couldn't hit her hard. He'd still hit her, but not as hard as he would had she been, like, you know, a a normal person distance away. The first blow of his hammer landed on her left temple, and immediately she screamed out, Who are you? What do you want? Of course, this didn't deter the man who was wildly swinging the hammer. Now, at five foot four, Susan was five inches shorter than the man in the baseball cap, and she had two bad knees from repeated injuries and excess weight. But she did outweigh her attacker significantly which came to her advantage 110%. In an attempt to push her attacker over, which is another self-defense tactic she learned to get them down, 
Susan slammed her body up against his. Now, they didn't fall as planned. He pushed Susan's back against the wall and uttered the only words he said to her this night. You're strong. Do you know how infuriating that would be? Yeah. This motherfucker is trying to kill you, and the only things he said to you this entire time is you're screaming, who are you, what do you want, what are you doing, is you're strong. Like, bitch, that's like saying girls can't be strong. Yeah, he basically was like, you're strong. Like, yeah, like, yeah like, bitch, I'm about to whoop your ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, honestly, she probably, like, fire probably burned her eyes. You know, that's one way to, you know, steam the bull. Susan recounts those words out of her attacker's mouth as the ones that solidified what he was there to do. Killer. Obviously. I mean, clearly, if someone's in your house with a hammer hitting you, I don't think they're trying to invite you to their kid's birthday party. She continued screaming at her attacker during all of this to find out who he was and what he was doing attacking her in her home. That must be so fucking scary, in your, in your safe haven being attacked. She continued screaming at her attacker, and she managed to gain control of the hammer, and she swung the call side three, maybe four times into his skull. This is getting crazy. Like, the, the first shots are to the head. She got hit in the temple. She got control of the hammer and smashed him in the head. Yeah, she like, they're not, him. They're not pussyfooting around. They're, no. they're not going for the knees, going for the arms, going for the chest. Head, right to the head. Oh, can you imagine how disorienting that would be? Like, the whole situation. Just, I hope she was pounding him on the head, though. That's bad. She was. She was she's such a badass. She was smashing him in the skull and somehow grabbed the hammer back from her and so immediately when he got control of the hammer, she went through his th- to his throat. They always say go to the you know the weak parts. You know, right. obviously the groin, the throat, eyes, eyes. Nose. Go for something easily accessible. And when he got that hammer, he was focused on hitting her, so she went for his throat because his arms are di- like away, right? So she screamed again, "Who sent you here?" And her, she was squeezing his airway. She was choking him out. His face ended up turning red. She recounts then purple then a darker purple with a blue tinge. This spooked Susan. She was actively choking this guy to death. And it it scared her. She was, you know, obviously she was just in her own home. She wasn't planning on having a kung fu battle with some man there to try to kill her. She let go of his neck, and then she tried to flee. So she tried to run out of the room as she was, you know, right when she saw him turn purple. The man, whom police later identified as Edward Dalton Haffey, caught her as soon as she ran from the bedroom into a narrow hallway. So this just says, like, first of all, they've both been bashed in the face with a hammer. They've been rolling around on top of each other. She just choked him out a little bit. Like, he didn't pass out yet. But she did choke him to the point where he was turning blue. It just shows you the resilience of the human body. Like we said, fight or flight. Your shit kicks into high gear when you're fighting. Because some of the, like, one blow to the head would knock a normal person down. These two are getting up. And still still whooping ass, yeah. Yeah, it's just insane. Good for her, too. She's much smaller than this guy, at least, least like, in the height. Height, yeah. yeah. She outweighs him, but she's definitely shorter, and so he has that height on her. Yeah. And, like, it's just, it reminds me of, like, Kill Bill. Like, it's just, like, they keep going. Like, they're bleeding, and, like, everything's a mess. And they're still at it. It's, this is incredible. This is incredible. And it's an incredible testament also to not only... Um, physical strength with the willpower to live, which is like what she read about in O's magazine. He spun her around when he grabbed her from the hallway because she was trying to get out because she was she spooked herself and she choked him. He punched her in the face, splitting her lip, and then he punched her again and she fell to the floor. She recounts this, and it's haunting the way she recounts this. She recounts this as she was down the floor, she looked up, and he was standing over her with the hammer. And she said she looked at the floor and thought, I'm going to die today. To this day, she's not sure how, but like we said, fight or flight, man, it's so fucking powerful. She fought, and she somehow got Haffy to the floor. And her only thought at that point was, I have to get this hammer away from him because he's, he's, you know, weaker than me without this hammer. This fucking hammer is ruining the game. While she got him to the floor, she started to bite him. And what she thought while doing this was, I have to leave my DNA on him because if she was going to die, he'd have teeth marks on him to prove that he was part of the crime scene. Wow. Um, And they were wrestling around on the floor and she bit his arm, his flank, and his thigh. She even, she's such a badass, she even bit through his zipper to his genitals. Damn! Bit him in the dick. Bit his dick off. Not off. 
But she bit him in the dick. Good for her. Can you imagine if she bit his dick off, though? That would be... No, she didn't bite her dick off, his dick off, but she did bite him in the dick. Presumably balls. While they wrestle, she does remember... See, she's so badass, because how are you so cognizant during all of this? To, like, remember to leave DNA by biting him. And then she said she was digging through his pockets as he was attacking her. Like, grabbing at his pockets to try to find his ID to throw it. So, like, if she died, his ID would be in the house. Wow. Like, badass. Badass. Like, of this stuff? Yes. And, like, you you can only think how many thoughts run through your mind when you think you're going to die. But she's, like, leaving DNA evidence everywhere, leaving physical evidence everywhere, making <laughs> I love, sure. I love the analogy she uses here, too. Yeah. Like, making sure if she's going to die, she's going to fucking bring him down with her. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, um, she, yeah, she said in an interview that she was, like, a downed power line snapping on the pavement. <laughs> Which, if anybody's ever seen, is, like, yeah, wild, wild. It's like, um, like a unattended fire hose. Right. Like, that shit is, has a mind of its own. It's all over the place. So, 14 minutes into this fight, they've been fighting Matt for 14 fucking minutes. Yeah, dude, that's a fucking brawl. Like, that, like, can you imagine? And like I said, hammers, fists, they're cutting each other, they're biting each other, they're straight up on the floor wrestling. (laughs) Somehow, they were both wedged on their sides in the hallway outside of Susan's bedroom. And she threw her left leg over Haffy's body, climbed on top of him like a badass motherfucker, and hooked her left arm around his neck, still screaming, tell me who sent you here and I'll call you a fucking ambulance. So she's still ready to try to help this guy out. All she wants to know, give me who sent you here. Who brought you here to my house? I don't know who the fuck you are, but I know you know who I am. How do you know who I am? Who are you? And like I said, she has him in a chokehold. She has him tight around the neck. Now she remembers him saying nothing, but instead he let out a growl. Ooh, it just gives you the fucking chills, man. It just gives you the fucking chills. Susan leaned forward, tightening her forearm against his throat. He stopped moving. That's when she grabbed the hammer and fled outside to her neighbor's house who called that 911 call that we read at the top of the show. An autopsy later revealed the cause of death is strangulation. Mm -hmm. Happy, an autopsy an autopsy would show had a near lethal dose of cocaine in his system when he attacked Susan in their home. So he blew a fuck ton of lines yeah. before fighting her. So he was amped up on something, too. <laughs> yeah. His wasn't adrenaline as much as it was the blow. Cocaine. But, yeah, she she ended up killing our attacker. Of course, as with any, well, you would hope, any death, this led to an investigation by police. Police could tell from the get-go that Susan was fighting for her life and never doubted a second that she was acting. Never doubted in her, her own second defense. that she was not, yeah, that she was acting in anything other than her own self-defense. Right. Which is amazing because sometimes you hear about these cases where the police are just like, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Been, like, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, we hear about that all the time, especially when it involves, like, sex workers or different professions or whatever. You know, there's always some kind of, like questioning I feel but in this case they immediately believed her they knew she was telling the truth and there was no sign of forced entry into the house through the investigation though like we said in the top of the show Michael Kuhansen had the security code and would no doubt be able to instruct someone on how to disable it or he would be able to go back to the house and disable it himself security records show that someone had disabled the alarm at the Montevilla house where Susan while Susan was at work so someone was there turning off the alarm Mike would later admit that he did it while dropping off the note about going to the beach but denied letting Haffy inside wow oh so fucking crazy now a little bit of background on Haffy himself so she and they Investigators identified the dead man as Edward Dalton Haffey. Now, relatives and friends would tell police Matt that he was raised in an upper-middle-class home and was an avid tennis player. Yeah, That's good not athlete. the kind of person you'd assume to become a hitman later in life. You wouldn't think. Like yes, he was hard up. You know what I mean? It's just like, and this goes to show it doesn't matter your background, you know? You could be raised in the slums and still have a very successful, very productive life. Or you could be raised in an upper-middle-class home and still turn out to be a piece of shit cokehead who tries to kill people in their houses. Yeah. Life (laughs) can go one way or the other. So, court records did reveal a gruesome crime 15 years earlier that involved Taffy. Apparently, on February 28th, 
1991. Were you born then? I was born about eight months after that. Nice. Hathi arranged the murder of his ex-girlfriend, 39-year-old Georgia Lee Dutton. So this motherfucker may have been from a good home. However, he had been dealing with the law for a long time. Yeah. Her decomposed body was found along the Umpqua River? Umpqua. Umpqua River near Roseburg. Now, he pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit aggravated murder on March 14th, 1994, and spent the next nine years in the Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution. Now, why the fuck he only got nine years, I don't understand. Yeah, for a second degree That's murder. another eye for an eye conversation, but I, that's another story for another day. Now, he was released on November 3rd, 2003, and that's when... About a year later, he had a run-in with Mike Kuhnhaus. He was Mike was the supervisor of the janitorial situation at an adult video store. And, of course, with their record, it's hard to get a job. So, half he figured, I mean, I'm sure that's one of his only options that he had. Not to knock on people who work at adult video stores, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm sure this is one of the only places that would kind of oversee his past and not really think much into it, Right. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. So, on September 18th, a former cellmate of Hafi's from when he was in prison contacted police saying Hafi had asked him to join a burglary in an insurance scam, in quotes. He and Hafi met a guy at Southeast 82nd Avenue in Division Street. It was Mike. He told the man he would pay him $5,000 if he helped Hafi kill his wife. And he said, no, no, mind you, we know this because man that was also in jail with Hafi came. There was a witness to this, which I don't understand why you'd ever try to buy a hitman with a witness. Yeah. Like, well, why would you try to buy a hitman ever? Well, but. I mean, well, yeah, but like, why would you bring somebody to that? Yeah. Hey, let's, let's all, <laughs> let's all go and meet up and talk about killing my wife. Hey, you want to come? Yeah. Like, what the hell? And of course, well, not of course, but while this gentleman was with Hafi, they said no. Oh, no, no, this gentleman said no to going with him. Yeah, the guy said no, right? Yeah. Yeah. So on November 17th, another witness told police he'd driven Hafi to meet a bald man in the parking lot of an Applebee's near Interstate 205. Inside a backpack Hafi left at the scene, it was a day planner that said, Call Mike, get letter, scribbled on the week of September 4th, according to the affidavit. Michael Kuhnhausen's new cell number was actually jotted down on the inside of that folder. Yeah, like Matt said, that was found in a backpack that Hafi left in the basement of the Kuhnhausen residence. Yep. So sentencing. Let's get into it, Matt. Let's dive in. On August 30th, 2007, Mike pled guilty to soliciting Susan's murder. Duh. Duh. <laughs> he was pretty much signed, sealed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, one. it was like instant. They knew who who would the only culprit ever be. Yeah, they didn't even have to investigate too much on that one. They're like, oh, you mean the, <laughs> the dead guy's backpack that's here at the scene has, has the husband's <laughs> name and new phone number in here? Well, we know who we got. <laughs> yeah, the only person who knows the alarm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you mean he was here earlier today? Yeah, good try, Mike. What an idiot. So Mike was charged with solicitation and aggravated murder for hiring Edward Taffy to kill his wife with a promise of $50,000 in pay, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. How they... <laughs> it grew from 5K to 50K. This motherfucker. Mike actually... So there was... The motive behind this case was that Mike had lost his job two weeks earlier. He had nowhere to live at that point. He was staying with his dad. Susan had named her brother as the beneficiary on a life insurance policy. And actually, Susan and Mike had paid off the Montevilla house, so it was worth about three hundred grand, And it would be his, and the only thing that would be his, if Susan died. So that was a clear motive as well. It was He was set to lose everything. They had paid it off, but he knew he could keep the house if Susan wasn't in the picture. Exactly. Susan wasn't leaving that house anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, why would she? She probably won it in this divorce and was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and of course Susan changed her last name and immediately uh, was granted a divorce. 
as this all happened. So her last name is now Walters, by the way. Just yes. in case you're confused why we're now calling her Susan Walters, because right. that is now her name. So we will move forward as Susan Walters. So, <laughs> in 2008, Susan Walters won a $1 million civil court case against her estranged husband, who was in jail. She told the Oregonian in April that she wanted to make sure that Kuhnhausen didn't have enough money to hire another hitman. Good. Yeah, really, because he only got 10 years. Yeah, exactly. In the months prior to his release, Susan tried to mentally prepare herself for the release. She sat in restaurants where she could see the door. She switched driving routes. She circled the block if she thought somebody might be following her. I'm sure she was constantly looking over her shoulder. She was even quoted as saying, I'm doing a life sentence for picking a bad husband. Which is true, and that's the same with, like, a lot of stalking victims. It's your, your, you're constantly, like, in a punishment, even if the stalker is in jail or is away or is not near or is out. You're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're constantly wondering where they could be. You're constantly wondering if they can watch you or if they are watching you. I don't understand civil suits because I feel like they're never actually paid to the person. Well, never in really the full amount. They usually settle, is what they do. Um, so that's typically how civil civil suits are settled. Yeah. So, as Matt said, she was constantly, you know, looking over her shoulder, assessing every room she went into. I can't even imagine going into your own bedroom after that. Yeah, imagine, you know. Because, like, that's where this all went down. So, she had moved to a new house in Portland, by 2014, and it was on. It was strategically on an out-of-the-way cul-de-sac so she could see everyone coming in and out, and gravel surrounded her house so she could hear footsteps, and she practiced shooting at a nearby range. So she was literally preparing for him to get out of jail and to come after her, not only because he had done it once before, but because he got put in jail for it. So you can, like, um, Byron, like Byron thought, you know, exactly. it's only going to make them more mad. Right. They're not going to come out reformed. They're going to come out more angry. And then I'm going to be the target again. So I feel like it was kind of the same mentality. Just she's a badass and Byron wasn't as badass. So Mike was supposed to be released on September 14th, 2014. As fate would have it, on Friday the 13th, June 2014, which was only four years ago, prostate cancer killed Mike 92 days before his release. Jailhouse letters that were released after Mike's death revealed that he never, ever acknowledged his guilt. He claimed he pleaded to the crime only to escape a possibly larger sentence. That's why I hate pleading, because I feel like it's just sometimes it's not fair. Right. Um, which I, I kind of get. I don't, like, understand. Why do you, why would you plead? Like, I know why the defendant would plead, but, like, why is that even given as an option? Is it to get, like, more information out? Or, like, in this case, why? Because they already had all the info. Why wouldn't they try to, like, throw the book at him? I would think that they probably didn't have enough evidence to tie him in other than what was yeah. there on scene. Yeah. yeah, I mean, other than that, who's to prove that some guy yeah. said they met up at an interstate 205 yeah. Denny's, you know? Like, that's not exactly... <laughs> Corroborating evidence, you know, it's it's I know, true, I hate it. but I know, you know, you're right. He continued to believe he was the true victim, which pisses me the fuck off, man. Seriously. To have that kind of balls to believe that you're the victim, your wife was attacked, you weren't even fucking touched, pussy boy. Get the fuck out of here. Seriously. Many have and continue to praise Susan as a hero. I am absolutely one of those people. I'm sure Matt would agree. Absolutely. I think it's the most badass thing in the world that she took control of a situation. It's unfortunate that someone had to die in the process. However, don't come into someone's house with the intent to kill them and expect them not to try to fight with everything that they have. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you said in, again, Byron's case, how do you know the intent of the person? Well, clearly this intent was to hurt because they had a hammer. Right, and this is your castle. You can't yep. come into my house and expect to steal my stuff or steal my freedom or sense of security and live. Or life, yeah, exactly. And I just think it's badass because, you know, a lot of these cases don't turn out this way. Yeah, so, most do not, unfortunately. I thought it was something to note and something that was noted in every interview I ever read about her 
She said her boss told her something profound when she expressed her confusion over the new title. Because she, she was like, how am I a hero? I killed somebody. That's not a hero. I was just protecting myself. I'm not, I didn't, like, I'm, I'm not a hero. I'm no hero. I don't want to be called a hero. And her boss's response was beautiful. And I quote, they're not calling you a hero because you killed a man. They're calling you a hero because they want to believe, given the same circumstances, they too might survive. The hitman, Haffy, his family was actually super, super, super supportive of Susan, which I find pretty incredible as well. I do too. That's amazing. It was baffling when I read that, to be honest. And Haffy's aunt wrote Susan a letter in 2010 that read, Whoa. Although this was a terrible thing that happened, no one in this family has any bad feelings towards you. You did what you were forced to do, and in doing so, you spared many from the same trauma you experienced. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. Sorry, Matt is just, like, pancaked out on his bed, just, like, just dead. I am. I'm trying to stretch my back. I have such terrible pain in my back right now. I need to see a chiropractor, speaking of that. I know, I do, too. I'm just just kind of scared. But yeah, so that is the badass Susan. I think she's absolutely incredible. I think it takes a lot of courage and strength and willpower. She had the will to live and she made it happen. Obviously, we know, you know, I still believe victims of crimes who did not have the same fate are still heroes in their own right. I'm sure they all fought. And just because they didn't come out on the other end doesn't make them any less of a hero in my mind. But I do think Susan's tale, like... Her boss said, makes people believe. It does. That's what I was thinking. I mean, how many women have thought, like, oh, you know, I wouldn't ever, like, get in a fight with a man. Like, with a man with a hammer. Yeah, like, especially, if like. Taller than you. Yeah. Is a hammer. You know, armed. if it's your life on the line, you can do anything you damn well put your mind to. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Susan knew that, too. And she was like, you know what? I'm whooping this dude's ass. He's in my house. I'm going to win this fight. I think what I'm going to do for this show, Matt, I think it's going to be incredible. Uh, A good resource to put in is I want to put in, because we have a lot of um, links in the show notes to different helplines and hotlines for everything from abuse, domestic violence, you know, eating disorders, everything, you name it. But what I want to do is I want to find not only local classes, like, different websites one can go on to find self-defense classes. I agree. I think that'd be a great thing. Don't you think that would be amazing? Like, of it's course, a great outlet. Pittsburgh's, but I want to I wanna find a, you know, common site where you can go type in, like, your zip code or something. Right. And find a class near you. Because it's so important. And hopefully the outcome would have been the same had Susan not had that training. But can you imagine if she didn't? I mean, I could not imagine if she hadn't, but... At the same time... She probably still would have whipped his ass to the whole... I, I, I think that instinct kicks in and you just decide, like, yeah. all right, this is it. I'm going to live or I'm, I'm going to die. I'm living or I'm dying. Yeah. It's it's seriously wild. Matt, I can't wait for you to hear some of our other cases of badass women and even men. I'm like, excited. Oh, there's one that, ooh, you're going to, ooh, and then, ooh, it's going to piss you off, but it's going to uplift you, and then it's going to bring you down, and then it's going to uplift you again. It's fucking amazing i look forward to the challenge <laughs> yeah. oh and we'd also like to point out that we do believe an eye for an eye was met for oh yeah we susan. did <laughs> no we got i mean we at least got to mention we think that an eye for an eye was yeah, met for susan uh, who oh, did well, not receive literally. any jail time or any sentence for killing this yes, man because she was the justice system got it right yes well done justice system because she literally did an eye for an eye she did an eye for an eye this man tried to kill her she was the the victim here she had no other recourse except to take this man's life we also at least I feel at least I don't know how you do I think that Mike Kuhnhausen was under sentenced but got the initial and proper sentence that he deserved for attempting to have his wife killed. Yeah. And that motherfucker died in jail. Yep. Suck it, Mike. And and I'm, you know, I've never wished cancer upon anybody, obviously, but I think, I think the higher, the higher world was saying, you're not getting out of here. Yep. They basically said, one way or another, you're not getting out because we know what you're going to do. We'll take you to within three months of the day and then you're Fuck. Can you imagine getting that close and then dying? That would be shitty. Nope. <laughs> but 
but I don't know, plan on going yeah, to so jail. Yeah, so Susan, I for 100% was met, as Matt said. Mike, I don't... See, Matt, yes. real quick. This is what pisses me off with, like, stalking cases. Yes. It's like, I don't ever feel like they're sentenced harsh enough. Right. It's so difficult to say because, like, that could be a serious threat on someone's life. Mm-hmm. But, like, they can't really do much until something happens. Right. It's just like, oh, they all frustrate. And we're going to cover a lot of those cases because they, first of all, stalking is, like, one of my worst fears. And second of all, those are the cases that I, for an eye, pisses me off the most. Or, like, attempted murder. It's like, why are they out for failing? Literally. How do you get you credit? You literally failed to kill somebody. You tried. You actively tried to kill someone. And your ass failed, and now you're out of jail. And you're getting credit from the law. Yeah, like, I just, we'll have to go over that some other time. We then. will. We'll add that to another but case. But so, so that was Susan. We hope you guys enjoyed her badass story. I hope it gives someone out there hope, maybe going through the same situation, not only that you're stronger than you think, but that you deserve better, you deserve more. All the women out there were standing with you, standing beside you, standing for you. Um... We love you all. We want to make sure that that's known. And any resource that you guys find helpful and you want to share with us so we can share with the rest of our listeners would be absolutely appreciated in any context, any form. Please do. We love you all. We're so happy you tuned in today to hear this amazing story. She's still alive. She's still kicking. And, you know, hopefully she's doing well. She has, you know, she seems like she has a really wonderful humor. Hey, if anybody knows her, we'd love to have her listen. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some interviews with her, and she just seems like such a badass woman. And I aspire to be something like that, you know, just strong, strong woman. If you like us, as we always say, please, we're begging you. We ain't too proud to beg, honey. We ain't too proud to beg. Give us those ratings. Give it to them. Give it to us. Give it to us. We need ratings, reviews, and subscribers. Yes, we're we're doing really well, but without those, it's hard for people to organically find us. Um, you know, and, and we've done a lot of advertising, almost, which is amazing, and we're so, so thankful, and it's only growing. It's literally gotten better and better every single month. However, it's hard for people to organically find our podcast that we're working really hard on. You know, I spend a lot of hours editing these podcasts, creating intros. Matt and I spend a lot of hours on the research recording it takes some time you know we chop a whole lot out because we go on tangents for days and so it's just really important to us that you know if you like us you spread the word to your friends but towards your families maybe make a post on facebook we're on facebook i fry podcast look us up and interact with us i'm always posting stuff on there always Please look us up. There's so many ways you can interact and get in touch with us. We'd Facebook, love to Twitter, talk to you. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have the best Instagram commenters. Remember, El Nino, we love you. Shout out. <laughs> we love her so much. And Chelsea was wonderful as well. So just please hit us up. We love you guys. We want to hear from you. That's like we said time and time again. That's what this podcast is all about. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what do you think. I friend I met. Did, did this man get what he deserved? Did Susan, you know, come out on top? I think we can all agree on that one, but... I think yes. Yeah. Jared, do you have any personal experiences with, you know, where self-defense class came in handy? That would be an amazing mini-sode to do. Yeah, it would. You if know, anybody any has a great story, yeah. You know, had had an experience where they did have to use some kind of self-defense technique. When I was in college, my friend that Matt knows as well, named Kim... She was telling me that her sorority had to go through a training with a police officer. And I'll never forget what she said, which I think... There were two things that she said from the training that she learned, which I think are pretty interesting. And I don't know 100% how true they are, but I think they're true. Because I will never forget them being told to me. So the one is... Remember, taking an eye out of someone's head is as easy as getting an olive out of a shot glass. So it doesn't take much force. You just got to jab your fingers in there, which is gross and horrible to think about. But, hey, if you need to get away, you have to do whatever you can possible to make that happen. And then, Matt, I don't know if you knew this one, but this is so fucking weird. I don't know why I remember these two things that she told me. But you, um, the force it takes to rip someone's ear off is the same force it takes to rip a piece of paper. (laughs) If you do it fast enough is what she told me. Wow. Like I said, I don't know 100% how accurate those are, but it's something to the tune of those because I learned them freshman year of college from our friend that we went to high school and I went to college with. Um, 
yeah. And I thought those were interesting little tidbits of information. So go for the eyes, go for the ears, that jugular baby. Geet, 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 get in there. Get rowdy. And remember, a lot of people do say fighting is important. If you're being attacked, if you cannot flee, fight. Don't give up. Fight. Fight for your life. Channel your inner Susan. Why did I say it like that? Channel your inner Susan. You're all badass. You're all great. You're all strong. You got this. And we love you. Have a good night, everybody. We love you all. Thank you. <laughs>